0: Last week on The Gaggle, we talked with a redistricting expert from the Brennan Center's Democracy Program. We broke down how Arizona's process compares to other states and how public input can make a difference. This week, we're going deeper into what Arizona's maps may look like for next year, and what that means and who it affects.
1: Saying that I think that the District District 17 to me is the core of this, of the differences between any of these maps. And this particular district that we're looking at was drawn with an effort to create a district with a partisan advantage, just to be honest. I was compelled by uh, Emile's overall rationale about uh, compactness, uh, communities of interest, uh, I am also, like I said, focused on wanting to ensure some accountability in the Tucson area for right-of-center uh, folks, a community of interest uh, to not be neglected.
2: But to suggest that that having one that leans Republican, and it will lean less Republican than this at the end of the day, um, so. is, is just
1: not reasonable.
0: Recently, the Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission drafted new legislative and congressional maps that appealed to most members. The general public now has 30 days to look over these proposed maps and share their thoughts before the finalization date of December 22nd. Welcome to The Gaggle, a politics podcast by the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. I'm your host, Ron Hansen. For redistricting part two, I chatted with Dr. Erica Newberg. She's the chair of the Arizona Independent Redistricting Commission. Just a heads up, you're gonna hear Dr. Newberg talk about the VRA, that refers to the Voting Rights Act. Later on in this episode, I'm joined by my colleague, Arizona Republic state politics reporter, Ray Stern, for what the maps could actually mean. Let's start with what we've seen from the redistricting commission so far. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you.
0: So the final vote on the proposed congressional and legislative maps is scheduled for December 22nd. What happens between now and then?
1: So the primary task is to embrace this next 30-day public review period with as much energy um, and commitment as we can to try to engage as much public feedback so that we understand how the maps will perform for all the different communities in our state. So we are planning about 12, I say, you know, um, I'm a, a approximating because uh, we're you know trying to lock in various dates, but our goal is to have as many public hearings as we can to get explicit feedback from constituents. What do they like about the map? What do they don't like about the map? Why this line belongs here? Why this line should go there? And perhaps even most importantly, is my community marginalized in this map? It, you know, am I going to not be able to exercise my democratic freedom, uh, one vote, one person based on these lines? And it's our job to learn and study. And, and uh, when we convene again for the next deliberation, to do so with as much mastery of our state's demography, the needs, our communities of interest as possible.
0: So you've been doing this uh, throughout the year, you've had varying levels of participation, and you've had several iterations of maps that you've been going through. What do you expect to hear from the public now that you haven't already heard? How is how is this process being honed or or um, revised in, in the late stages here?
1: It's very different. The early months were wonderful, in helping us identify 182 communities of interest and to learn the state truly through mostly a nonpartisan lens because we weren't having any difficult votes. We didn't even have census data. So that early stage was an opportunity to learn the geography, learn which communities reside where in the state. Now, based on all that feedback, We tried to make sense of all the data and try to put a meaningful map together that was our best estimate for how to maximize, you know, political expression, how to honor as many communities of interest as we possibly can. It's a a consensus map. No one actually agreed on all of it. But this time around, it's much more personal Because you can identify where your house, where your community is, and you can compare it to the demographic data around the district that you're, you know, proposed to be in, and do your own calculation, how is this going to work for me? And I really welcome that type of substantive feedback from communities across the state, because it's a huge learning curve for five volunteers we five commissioners who, whose jobs in the past had not been to master legislative districts and Arizona demography and things like that. So this time around, we're going to be starting from a much more educated schema. And I think the type of information that we're going to hear is, is going to impact us uh, in a deeper way and, and, and. And, and a more constructive way, because now we're at the point of real specific lines.
0: This process, as you are finding uh, very intensely right now, it involves a lot of hard choices. Uh, and it sounds like there's at least 182 moving parts to uh, what you're trying to do, if not more like 7 million. Um, I've heard concerns from folks in retirement communities that they've feel like they're being split apart and uh, some district lines. There are people in the Latino community who have voiced concerns that they have not fully participated in this process. There are incumbents who are drawn into the same new districts and there are other districts that are essentially wide open. Um, walk us through your deliberations as a body in, in making those decisions. how, can the public sort of get their arms around what you have formulated to this point?
1: I believe all five commissioners have really embraced a similar vision and mission to honor all six constitutional criteria. And and we internalize them in such a way that you no longer even see them necessarily through this hierarchical list, but rather, you know, this sense of maximizing all six because to do so is really maximizing you know, democracy, uh, maximizing you know, representation., um, you know, it's an imperfect map. It was a compromise map. I, I give my colleagues remarkable credit. It was a courageous vote on each of their part because at one point, they each decided to put the commission above their party to say, you know what? I'm not getting everything I want, you're not getting everything we want, but it's a good enough template to get it out into the community and in good faith start soliciting feedback. Uh, There are retirement communities that will need to be fixed. I mean, you know, that's gonna be a priority. Uh, I'm unhappy with certain areas uh, in in the Tucson area. I thought Mayor Romero uh, made some compelling points uh, in a letter she submitted to us. We're struggling with the with, with uh, you know respecting you know the desires of the Latino coalition as much as possible. Uh, there's questions about uh, seven versus eight majority minority districts. Uh, we're looking at all the data and the science, and all of our decisions will be driven by honoring the six constitutional criteria to the best of our ability, as well as a commitment that I made. Uh, when I was interviewing and, and, you know, I, I made a commitment to run as ethical and transparent of a process that sought to minimize litigation, that sought as much compromise as possible and would save the state the heartache, the unwasted resources as much as possible. So when I look at the lens of, for example, submissions from the Latino community, I look at first and foremost my obligation to a hundred percent of the state. You know, Latino is low thirties. Well, it's high sixties that are non-Latino. I need to make sure we do right by everybody. Um, and, and balance all of that, which is not easy uh, and mitigate, you know, lawsuits. So for example, the Latino community would like eight majority minority districts not seven. It's not clear that there's polarization data that support those districts. So we could create those districts. It doesn't appear that the data is there to compel us, although we're open to, you know, looking through the data at all time. But again from a legal lens of mitigating risk, if you lean in too much, And you go eight without being compelled to do so, you're at risk of being accused of racial gerrymandering, giving giving certain groups preferential treatment, while at the same time, if those other seven districts don't perform or they're diluted in any kind of way, we're at double risk legally on that front. So our job is to find that sweet spot that maximizes and empowers the Latino community as much as possible while mitigating legal risk, while also honoring as much of the constitutional rights for all groups across the entire state. Those are very difficult compromises. It's my my deep hope that the state engages in real constructive, honest debate and dialogue over the next 30 days and let's collectively weigh these pros and cons. I'm open to the public feedback.
0: You speaking of feedback, you've also uh, no doubt seen Princeton University's uh, gerrymandering project, and they're concerned that there is what they described as backsliding on minority representation, uh, and that would include uh, tribal representation as well. Do you think that the commission is is close to something that will stick in your minds in terms of resolving these issues in a way that can avert lawsuits and can uh, convince other outside uh, organizations and and people that you have acted in a way that is as reasonable uh, as possible.
1: Absolutely, you know our attorneys have been in dialogue with. With all other parties, attorneys really in good faith going through the data. Uh, one of the first proposals from the Native American community, in order to you know honor a district that they were proposing, would have required uh, using a population deviance that exceeded anything that the Supreme Court has has allowed in the past. There's you know complications then about allowing one community to have all population deviants, which then does not allow you to spread it out to other communities. So there's a lot of complexities that go into creating majority-minority districts and honoring the Voting Rights Act. I'm very confident. We have three VRA experts working with us. Our mapping team has their own VRA expert, which is providing the underlying data. Uh, it, you know, we look at which districts perform. We look at polarization data. So, for example, you it's not just having a majority, uh, you know, minority district, which is the citizen voting age plus one. It has to perform, meaning it has to be capable of electing a leader of its choice. It also needs to be polarized. It needs to demonstrate that they vote differently than the majority white community. So it needs to fulfill, you know, many criteria. And those are things that we all need to consider when we're trying to balance all of these different needs and our attorneys are in in touch with their attorneys, we're gonna honor what's right. So in addition to our mapping team, having their VRA expert, uh, both attorneys, uh, one uh, left-leaning, Roy Herrera with Ballard Spar, he has hired his own, uh, his firm has hired a VRA expert, and uh, Snell & Wilmer also has a VRA expert. And so far, we're all on the same page. The Commission is working extremely well together. They were 50 votes on all of the data that we've received. I'm going to stay in constant contact with all of the relevant players. And if the data you know shows something differently, then then you know we will honor the BRA. It's number one in the Constitution.
0: Okay, we're going to return to the legal question here in a moment, but I want to have you speak to one of the things that is rather unique about Arizona's scheme, and that involves the uh, desire to create competitive districts. What has that meant as a practical matter in terms of how many districts will be uh, considered competitive in the congressional map, how many will be considered competitive in the legislative map? Is... Do you interpret your charge as being to create the maximum number of competitive districts, or is this uh, seen as uh, forming a handful that will likely remain competitive throughout the decade long period that we live with these things?
1: So I have come to uh not really be able to separate competitiveness out of the other constitutional criteria because I see all six criteria as all interacting to create the same underlying philosophy, which is maximizing representation. I view one of the most important aspects of competitiveness as ensuring accountability in government, ensuring that various communities of interest who are not in the majority will not be marginalized because their vote matters enough that they're going to get attention. So from my lens when I look at our constitutional, you know, criteria, there's nothing in it that says there needs to be a certain number of republicans, there needs to be a certain number of democrats. But what it does say to me is communities of interest must be respected, you know, and empowered to the extent, you know, practicable, and I know that competition increases accountability so i think when you look at it through that lens it makes sense to maximize competitiveness to the extent that it does not cause detriment to communities of interest because again the point of competitiveness is empowering communities of interest so to prioritize competitiveness at the expense of communities of interest defeats in my mind Uh, what these six constitutional criteria really
0: mean. The legal landscape surrounding redistricting has changed pretty considerably over the past decade. Um, And our national politics have also seemingly grown more polarized and more bitter uh, as a nation. Um, Does the redistricting process, does the new legal landscape uh, suggest any possibility for the commission to help bring about a more civil politics in Arizona? Is that something that you even think is possible or desirable?
1: I hope that that's in fact what we have been doing. Uh, I was disappointed a little bit in the first nine months of the process that uh, while we were just methodically going about really doing the beautiful work of democracy in a civil, productive, constructive way. The state was very distracted um, and focused on polarization and vitriol. And then when, you know, we embarked on that first listening tour in the late summer, uh, I, you know, was honored to attend all 15 of the events um, and traveling around the country Again, I was just stunned by the civility of our citizens standing up time and time again, uh, just respectfully speaking their voices. Now, I'm not saying that there weren't a few isolated times here or there where you could feel, you know, a palpable moment of intensity. But but that's passion, and and everybody was safe, and and you know it. I think so much has been going well. Five commissioners who, again, I I mentioned earlier, who I believe up to now have put the state's interest above their party's interests uh, and have civilly and respectfully collaborated and worked hard to present draft maps. They're not perfect. They are not done. There are big decisions to be made. We don't know if there's going to be seven or eight Latino majority minority districts. We don't know what the Native American uh, you know legislative district majority minority district will look like. I haven't made up my mind on some key issues like Verde Valley, some of the borders in Tucson. This is going to be an organic, very real, very transparent process that our state has has truly a remarkable opportunity. to to express themselves and be heard. But we're also gonna redistrict for those who aren't speaking up. We will find the people who are either uncomfortable, intimidated, don't even know about it. It's our job to redistrict for 100% of our state. And we're gonna spend the next 30 days learning as much as we can.
0: Well, very good. Dr. Newberg, thank you so much for your time and, and going through all this with us. If the public wants to know more about what the commission is doing and, and examine these maps for themselves, where can they find it?
1: Please come to our website, irc.az.gov, and you will uh, find many different links. You can you know submit a map, you could submit comments. You could submit words to us. There's, It's open 24-7 for public feedback. I encourage you to all visit it. It's really cool.
0: Thank you. Joining us now is Arizona Republic politics reporter, Ray Stern, Ray, you've been covering the redistricting process for us. It's sort of dull, but it's extremely important work within local politics. So let's take this one at a time. Arizona still has nine members in the U.S. House of Representatives. There are five Democrats and four Republicans. What would the tentative maps proposed at this point mean for the congressional picture in Arizona?
2: Well, um, if you look at the competitiveness spread that the uh, IRC has prepared, uh, with, that goes along with the latest adopted congressional map, and so this is the, the draft map that they adopted last week. Um, what it shows is that there's going to be five uh, potentially swing districts in Arizona uh, for, for Congress, um, and so there'll be four that are uh, four that are safe for the parties, two Republican, two Democrat, and then you look at these measures that show five districts that are competitive, um, but in terms of how competitive are they really only two show up as, as really competitive. And that would be the the new district um, six and just barely this new district eight. And so um, um, district eight will lean slightly Republican and and six will lean slightly uh, or over lean Democrat. Um, But, but those will be, those will be kind of like toss ups. The other ones are considered competitive, but, um, but actually when you look at the, the numbers um, they they really skew towards one or the other. So um, so I would I think people are saying that that there are two truly competitive seats out of these nine.
0: Okay, for those who have not memorized the numbering schemes on these and and the numbering system has changed uh, in in the geographic associations here. What districts are you talking about that would be likely competitive in this, and where are they?
2: Um, I hope people are looking at a map because you kind of need to visualize this a little bit, but, um, um, if you look at the current map that, uh, that Arizona has, um, this was the one that was developed in the 2011 redistricting. And you look at, for example, congressional district one, this is a huge district. It's kind of like a claw that, that, um, goes through Flagstaff, goes out to Mojave, comes around the valley and picks up, um, the, uh, like Casa Grande area.
0: The way I typically describe it is uh, the district that is largely rural and, and covers most of northeastern Arizona.
2: District 1 in the old map is is O'Halloran's district, and he barely won that in the last election by three points. And so now when you look at the map, um, District 1 is changed, and and it's, it's more competitive for O'Halloran. It picks up more uh, Republican Uh, areas to the west and so that could give a a problem and then you look at this situation with with schweikert and stanton so they're both in uh fairly safe seats right now um but schweikert's seat is going to get more democratic and and stanton's is going to get more republican Uh, if, if 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 you look at those basic areas that they're in so um so both of these guys are, are probably thinking, you know, trying to make plans of what they're going to do.
0: And to be clear on that, David Schweikert is a Republican in the Scottsdale-based right. sixth district under the current mapping system, and we have Greg Stanton in the ninth district that is runs through Central Phoenix and down to Chandler.
2: Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly right, though. But um, w- the other uh, issue is the uh, the Gosar and O'Hallorand, Um Uh, matchup that, that could occur. Gosar is, is going to, um, have, he's, he's going to have a slightly less Republican district, um, and a much more competitive district. So he could end up running against O'Halloran, who is now going to have slightly more Republican district. And O'Halloran is a Democrat, um, and Gosar, of course, is a Republican. And, and so one thing that's being said is that Gosar could move to the proposed district, um, to the to the west of that, that would that would be where Gosar would move if he wanted to to play it safe. But this big district too, has taken away some of his uh, some of his Republican base. So,
0: let's shift gears to Southern Arizona, uh, where we have the state's only current open seat in Congress. That's the second district currently held by Democrat Ann Kirkpatrick. Mm-hmm. That district covers uh, part of Tucson and. and Re- reaches east to uh, Cochise County to the border. Um, how does su- Southern Arizona, Tucson in particular, come out of this uh, this proposed map at this point?
2: This would this is going to be the new District Six, um, and it's um, it, it is very competitive. Actually, um, it's it's leaning uh, Democratic. Uh, so the the balance over the last few uh, last nine races is. Democrats win uh, usually six times out of nine. Republicans win three times out of nine. So, so obviously that's a Democratic-leaning district, but the uh, vote spread is only 1.9%, so well in the highly competitive area. So a real toss-up. Um, and, and that's kind of the way it's been, um, although it's, it, it seems to have gone to, uh, to Democrats. Um, basically, uh, Martha McSally was the uh, uh, congresswoman before and Kirkpatrick in that district.
0: Ray, let's shift gears to the legislative map. Now, Uh, Arizona has uh, a House of Representatives and a state Senate. There are 30 districts. The House has two members from each district and the Senate has one member from each district. What do the proposed maps suggest about the State House where Republicans currently have a two-seat advantage in each chamber?
2: Well, um, I, I guess you could say there's there's good news and bad news uh, altogether. It, that there doesn't seem to, m- to be much of a change uh, at this point. So there are still six swing districts in the uh, in the new legislative map, um, the, the draft map, and of these, um, two are like real toss ups, and and four are competitive, but but not true toss ups. And that's that's kind of about the way it is right now. Um, so so there's it's not you could say that it's not getting much more competitive I would say a couple of interesting things in in this is that um the shapes of the districts change quite a bit and so um you look at something like wendy rogers district um district six and there isn't really a, a district six that's quite like that uh, after after if this if this draft map were to take effect um to, uh Wendy Rogers, for example, lives in Flagstaff, and so uh, her District Six would um, would suddenly become this new District Six that that is uh, linking all of the um, Indian communities, and it does not include as much of the uh, sort of Yavapai Republican area. So, so that's that's going to be a, a, a difficult one for for Senator Rogers if she wants to run for re, re- Um and then the other really interesting thing is that um, there's there's a lot of talk about the possibility of an eighth Latino uh, performing district, and so there are seven uh, uh, districts now that are that are uh, majority Latino, and or close to it. And what this proposal would do um, is is create six districts that are not majority Latino, but they usually perform. For uh, uh, for Latino uh, uh, desired candidates, and so they're just under 50 percent of the population, but but they're they're sort of Latino strong, I guess, sort of politically, and um, and then they would add two more districts. Um, so that hasn't been incorporated in the latest map, but but that is that is being proposed, and and I think a lot of people expect that to uh, to be incorporated once the, the new changes begin.
0: Well, very good. Ray, thank you for helping us understand this uh, rather dense process. If folks want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you?
2: They can find me at twitter.com slash Raystart.
0: That is it for today, Gaggle listeners. Please rate and review our show and share this episode with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Amanda Liberto. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. You can also follow this show and other Arizona Republic podcasts like Valley 101 on Twitter at azcpodcasts. We'll see you next week.